Palm Sunday was about destination. It was about where he was going and what he was doing. The work wasn't quite complete, but it was on its way. And it was the very, very, very smart thing to say to Jesus, save me, Lord, save us. I've got my glasses on and I can see my PowerPoint. I used to be able to do PowerPoints without glasses, but not anymore. <laughs> this is a great day, Sunday. It's a great day every day to remember how incredible King Jesus, <coughs> the one who humbled himself and came into Jerusalem. I sometimes think if that donkey thought a bit like me and he's going into Jerusalem and everyone's cheering and shouting and waving, he might have thought it was a bit about him. But trust me, we're all the donkeys, it's about the one we're carrying. It's not about us, it's about him and his glory. But uh, if I can, I'm not going to talk so much about Palm Sunday. I'm going to talk about that process that God was doing with the, the apostles and the disciples and how we can walk in discipleship with the Lord. I teach this to my youth when they come to me in, in Norway, when we start teaching them a thing called this, uh, discipleship training school, which is YWAM, Youth with a Mission. It's their core course. Everyone in YWAM goes through this, this teaching. And I often start the, start the, the whole six-month process with this. So, but Andrew, can you play that? In the beginning, God created man in his own image. He walked with man in the cool of the Eden, but sin interrupted that union. So God created the missionary. God said, I need someone willing to say no to the status quo, no to the dream of wealth, leave their families to fly to a distant land, and learn a language they have never heard, ride in cramped buses on backs of camels, someone who would sleep anywhere, eat anything, bear the heat, and fight the freeze with a smile on their face, just to take the gospel to a people not their own. So God created the missionary. God said, because the harvest is plentiful, I need someone ready to sow the seed, to plow the ground, water the seed, and reap the harvest which is ripe. Someone to go and train, to multiply the crops, and to answer the call and pay the price. So God created the missionary. God said, I need someone who is a radical servant of all, taking the lowliest job, washing the feet of the poor, caring for the sick, and cleaning their wounds. I need someone to visit the prisoner, care for the widow and the orphan, to sit in the dust with a child and tell them that they are loved. So God made a missionary. God said he needed someone who would believe that blind eyes could see and lame feet could walk and that the dead could live again. Someone who would pray long hours and intercede through the night with wordless groans of petition so that one soul 
might be saved. God said, I need someone honest and brave, full of grace, mercy, and compassion, free from fear and passivity, walking in true identity, someone burning with love and girded with truth, someone who radiantly reflects God's glory. So God made a missionary. God said, I need someone who would say yes before they were asked. Someone who would go to distant islands, barren deserts, inner cities, closed nations, next door neighbors, and prestigious universities to reach the unreached. Who would hike any mountain and endure any obstacle? Because how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? How will they hear unless someone preaches? And how will they preach unless they are sent? So God made the mission.
The hairs on your head are counted by the Lord. He sees the whole of your life. There's nothing hidden from him but you. You are special. There's places in the world we can't gather like this. We have to do it in secret. We run our training schools in basements, in little houses with multiple doors between the front door and where they are so we can shut things down if we have to, to have different authority. I've got friends in Mali who escaped through the back windows when the, the terrorists had come to kill them because they're Christians. But we have God on our side. And what's the worst those, those guys can do? Oh, send me home. Great. I know where I'm going when I die. Do you? Good. And if you don't know, you need to know. And we need to pray together. Find someone from, from the leadership team or me or the worship team or the person sitting next to you. Because we don't carry something extra. We carry God with us, as you do. So let's see if I can get this to work. Yes. I love this photograph and painting. Real picture of what discipleship is. The, the man there is holding the hammer and the nails, but Jesus with the holes in his hand is still holding him up. That's how we walk. We, we're not perfect. There's not one of us is perfect. Every one of us struggles at times. But I want you to know God and then I want you to make God known. It's how you do it. If you don't know God, how can you tell people about God? Get to know God, talk to him. It's a really wonderful thing. So I want to talk to you about um, the five P's. And there are multiple P's and D's and F's and G's, but I'm going on P's today. And some basic principles to help us run a good race with the Lord and how to endure in the world today. Jeremiah 29. We often only hear 29.11. For I never have the plans for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. But there's more, and it's really great. It's one of the huge promises of God that I wish I held on to as a teenager. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. And if you seek me with all your heart, you shall find me. Yes, we can find Jesus, and we can find him if we seek him with all our heart. And if you, if you find him, you'll pray to him. Because that's a natural response to knowing God is to pray. And when you pray to him, you shall be heard. Oh my goodness. Yeah, your prayers are heard. People think they're not. They think God doesn't care. But God also sees the bigger picture. Remember, we, we see, often see just the little dot. But the bigger picture is what God sees, where he's leading you to. You're on at least a 70-year training program with God for, for the new heaven and the new earth. So don't expect to have it all perfect right now. Because, I'm sorry, you're going to let yourself down. Because you're going to fail, you're going to say dumb stuff. Stuff that makes it, oh, why did I do that? But God sees it all. And he's not ashamed of you. He loves you. I want you to see that you are beloved by the Father. So important to grasp that fatherhood. I see some wonderful men here. People who are guys who just love the Lord. But they're not perfect. I'm sorry, you know, you're not. <laughs> Don't blow your bubble, but you're not perfect, but we have a perfect father. And the ladies, you're not perfect moms, aunties, sisters, cousins, but we have a perfect father. I want, to sh I want to show you that you're not powerless in this world that's going mad right now. We see what's happening in Ukraine. It's terrible. It's awful. And this drive for power and for territory and this rage and hunger and domination. Who does that sound like? 
Well, our enemy, that's what he wants. He rages, he's angry, and he wants to dominate us. But Jesus is there, he is the rock. The tide and waves come in, but they recede again, the rock remains. Stand on rock, don't stand on the beach. Stand on the rock. I want you to grow your faith through spending time with the Lord. And in that workshop of prayer, and I call it a workshop very intentionally, it's hard work prayer. Don't just come with your shopping list. God, can you help my brother, my auntie, my dog? Can you help me at work? Start talking to him. He's, he's, he's not a shop. Talk to him because he's the living God and he's with you. If you talk to him, it's fantastic. And over time, you start to recognize his voice coming back. There's, I think the Bible has 27 different ways that God speaks to us. But still yourself before the Lord. Tell him what's going on in your heart. And sometimes, stuff I've seen from Ukraine, people I know who are out there, and they just, I've just got a broken heart. I don't know what to say. I don't have so many words, but tears just flow. And in that place, you ask God to break your heart with what's breaking his. And that's so powerful. But you can break your heart for your sister, for your nephew, for your uncle. You can break your heart for what's happening in this country, in your town, wherever you're from. Go to God, because he hears your voice. He hears you crying out to him. And we, his sheep, hear his voice too. So, first P, pursue God. By the way, this is a photo of my home. That's, that's from my front door looking down the fjord. And that was, a, that was about minus 20 before we started getting jealous for the <laughs> But to pursue God, it's a personal choice to follow God or not. Not everyone here is following God. Is your heart here for God today, in, right now? Or has are you here a habit? If you're here a habit, you need to start talking to God again and change that. Because habit is so drift away from the Lord, we get comfortable. And trust me, when you follow God, it's not always comfortable. Christianity isn't for whims. Some days you're going to find yourself in situations you don't have the answers for. But when you get there, the king is already there before you. The king is already there. Just cry with people. Hold their hand. Like hand on the shoulder and ask for God to do the mighty work. You don't have to have great words of prayer. I think the most eloquent thing I've ever prayed was help. But just ask yourself, am I in the car park going home? Am I thinking about what's for lunch? What's for dinner? Oh no, we go to work on Monday. Or are you here? Try and be here at church. Try and be here. Because church isn't, it isn't only about fellowship. It is about fellowship, but it's also encountering God. Come to encounter God. Come to hear his word. Because our heart leaps by hearing the word of God. It changes something in uh, one of the One of the guys I, I support quite regularly, I speak to them every week or every day actually. And he says, how do I know if, if, I, if I know God? And I said, well, God's in charge. And so I told him to put a seat out in his, cap, in his, in his house. And I said, who's on that throne in your house? Is it you? You're sitting there with all your words, all your concerns. Who's going to be the masters of golf? Who's going to be the football? Something like that. And you're taking over control. Make sure Jesus is sitting on that driving seat but also recognize that God pursues us. He doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us in, a, in that bad place where we've made mistakes. 
He doesn't leave us in those places where we are. my faith has got a bit cold because we haven't always seen the answers to prayer that we wanted. But put him back on the throne of your life. Really, really important. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high and I cannot attain it. It's hard for us as finite beings to understand the infinite, but it's wonderful. That infinite understands us completely. You're not surprised to him. I, when I first came back to the Lord, I was sitting in the West Church in Haddington, sitting up the back, because I was afraid these good Christians would just know what horrible person I am. And I had a hat on, and I had my sunglasses on, but I was so ashamed. And I sat there, and I was filling up my glasses with tears. And then the pastor said, the darkness is the same as the light. He sees you, and you know what? He loves you. And then he kind of paused for a second, and he went, no, you don't get it. He loves you. And he said, you at the back, he loves you. You at the front, he loves you. You on the sides, he loves you. What a place of security that is, that God loves us. Will you pursue God for, for everything he promises us? Do you know the promises of God? Will you let him fill that love deficit that so many of us have lived from? Where we felt not good enough, people haven't cared for us. We were, when I was a kid at school being bullied, I was, where's God? He was right there with me, keeping me going. Will you feel foolish or not respected, not honoured by anyone? This one at the end. I meet so many people who feel they deserve to be alone. They don't deserve God, so they're scared to pray to Him. It's such a sad place, because it's, it's a lie. It's a lie. He's redeemed you. He has redeemed you, and you've said, Oh, Lord, be my God. Forgive me my sins. I want to walk with you through all of my days. I want you to be my God. I don't want another God before me. Lord, come. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. You've changed Something changes in you. It's so powerful. These guys up here, they were one of the DTSs. And they decided they wanted to hike up a fairly high mountain in, in the Lingen Alps. It's the northern Alps in Norway. And they found a glacier. And they thought it was great. And they were sitting looking at the great the glacier. And they said, oh, my, my God's older than that. My God was here first. My God made that. And it did something in their hearts. Being in the wilderness is such a beautiful thing. I'm not designed to live in cities. Some of my friends work in Calcutta and Auckland and London, Edinburgh and Glasgow. I don't do cities very well But I can go and live up in, in what's really a bit of a wilderness up there, very sparsely populated. But I can survive the weather and build the cold. I can cope. And I can cope with that more lonelier way of living than being surrounded by oppressive humanity. But wherever you are, whatever your strength is, be there with God. Like them, and recognize God moving around you. See God in the creation around you. 
Will you let him rebuild you again? And then when you think you've got it, and then you, then you make a mistake, you say something you didn't want to say, you, you don't do something you feel you should have done, and then it's not God. Can you rebuild me again? Can you pick me up again? Will you pick me up again? Dare I even ask for it? Can you accept that you are lovable, even in your worst moment? You are lovable. That can be a big shock to people. I find that very hard to accept that I was lovable even in my worst moments. When I was mean, when I was tight, didn't want to give anything away, didn't want to be holding on to that. God was with me. He was there when I was working with my boss again, and my boss was very focused on the job and where we're going, and I was focused on people, and we clashed. And she was the boss, and I had to listen to her. But I was really angry. God, where are you? I'm angry. And then I said something to her that was horrible. And I said it three times. I repeated myself because she went, pardon? I beg your pardon. So I said it three times. And then it's like, oh, really? <laughs> One missionary screaming at another missionary in the car park. So proud of myself again, God. Oh, ah, God, where are you? And he said, I'm here. Don't apologize. And I apologized. Started off through gritted teeth, but I thought, oh, I suppose I should apologise. Actually, I do apologise. I'm sorry I was mean to you. And she turned around and walked away. She didn't say it back. And I wasn't awfully happy she didn't say it back. And God goes, do you still forgive her? Are you still letting me rebuild? And I was thinking, have I just lost my job, my visa, my home in one hissy fit? And so I went back and I emailed her. And I emailed her a few times. Please answer. And she'd gone, she didn't live on a missionary base, she lived on a farm. And she came back on Monday and she went, yeah, I forgive you. And I kind of stood there waiting, still waiting for her. Well, Claire, I'm sorry I was mean too. And she never said it. And I thought, how can I work for this woman, God? And she wouldn't even say sorry. And God said, trust me. God says that a lot, but trust me. And it's... It's a bit of a shocker when he says it sometimes. But I trusted him. And then three years later, when I was leaving that mission space, we sat down and had coffee together, myself and the other leadership. And she went, I never said sorry when I was horrible to you. I'm sorry, I was wrong. You see people and I was seeing tasks. I was wrong. I was so shocked. I didn't know what to do. So I just said, of course, no problem. It's all forgotten. But it hadn't been. I held on to that little caramel of anger. But I was finally able to let that go and then God started to rebuild and change a little bit of my identity. That my identity was in him, not what my boss said, not what my co-workers said, not what the kids said, or what my buddy said, or what my dad said in a flash of anger, or my mom said. It was about what he says. Yeah. When you grasp that, when you hang on to that, you don't get you don't sway off to the left and to the right, you stay on the path of the Lord. And it's so good. Let the good shepherd lead you. That shepherd, by the way, will leave the flock and go to get that one sheep who's fallen over the cliff. Jesus gave that example because he understood the people there, understood farming. And he would, he would go and get that sheep, and he would do it, and he does it. He went and got me. And if he'll go get me, he'll go get you. So don't ever imagine that you're alone, because you're not. 
And that wonderful scripture from Isaiah, comfort, oh comfort my people, speak softly and tenderly to them, and cry out to them that their warfare is ended, and their iniquity is pardoned, for they have received from the Lord's hand double for their sins, and the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the, the dead in the desert, the highway of our God. Wow. How to that? That was why, that was why uh, they were in the desert, baptizing people. John the Baptist going, prepare the way of the Lord. Are you preparing the way of the Lord in your life? If not, do it. Start sanctifying your life before the Lord. Asking him every morning, get into that place of pursuing God where you ask him to come and rule and reign in your life to bring purity, to bring peace, to bring life into you each day. We teach our students that it's so important to, to do that, to take that time every morning. Some people aren't morning people. I'm not hugely a morning person, but do it in the evening. Do it in the afternoon. Do it as you're driving down the road. I pray to drive quite a lot. Talk to God as I'm going along. But pursuit is a two-way thing. It's spiritual warfare, do you know that? To take back what the devil has stolen from us. And what we've given away. Because my gosh, we give away a lot too. And we surrender in despair so often. Dare to have a little bit of hope that God is with you. God was with that family member who was dying. You might not be able to see what was going on in their heart and their spirits and their soul and their mind. But God was there. He desires that none are left. He won't force them. He will never force you. But he will be with them, giving them yet another chance. Since we've been given chance after chance after chance. And my friend holding, holding the sword there. That's a great picture. How does he love that? But we were talking about the, the armour of God and carrying the sword of spirit. And trust me, that bit of steel there, the devil's not scared of the bit of steel. He's scared of the Holy Spirit in you. He's scared of us who walk with the Lord because we destroy his kingdom. Because we're the kingdom of love. Do you know that? We're a kingdom of love. When you love the broken, the lost, the hurting, and the unreliable, the people who are mean, they're happy to do the same with you. So, Bear in mind that pursuit is a two-way thing. We pursue God and He pursues us. <coughs> then, second key, prayer. I love prayer. I didn't used to. Uh, the first time I prayed as, as a missionary, we, we got up early the, after the first day of our DTS. And we sat there and said, okay, God, I've been here five minutes now. I can't think of what to say. What do I say now? And the school leader, a guy called Sam, said, just wait, just wait. And, God will move things in your heart. And suddenly, all the other people were sitting there as silent as, as I was. Suddenly, little things came out, and then, oh, that was good. And then something comes out of your mouth, and you oh, I didn't expect that. But God's in there. And what's in there will come out. So let God come out of your mouth. Let love come out of your mouth. Let transformation come out of your mouth. In that place of prayer, it's incredible. Prayer is a place of intimacy. Into me, see. That doesn't work in translation to other languages, but it works in English. Into me, see. Lord, be here with the greatest, the most magnificent, powerful God who knows all your nonsense, knows all your mistakes, all your failure, and He still wants you. As my, I was teaching this down in, as about six hours drive south, in this German lab sitting in Brisbane. Blue is tiny little mind. I was quite glad it did. 
but he started to grasp it, and by the end of the week he was in a different place. It's very powerful. Have you heard that wonderful uh, YouTube clip of uh, Do You Know Him? Go and watch it again. Go, go on YouTube and find it. Do You Know Him? And it's such a powerful thing. That came to pass that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he ceased, that one, that one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. God, teach me how to pray. Because it shouldn't be just on my words, it needs to be his. We need to be praying in line with his heart. And this wonderful image of church, the missionary and the lost. It's, it's so powerful. We work together. I'm not in, missionaries aren't instead of the church. Missionaries support the church. Missionaries build up the church, hopefully. So... Privilege to blessing. Do you realise that? If you don't pray, what happens? Nothing. Absolutely zip happens. When you start to pray, you start to intercede, things can change. No, no church survives without prayer and a live prayer, not just shopping lists of what we all got to do, but intimacy with God. And no Christian can survive well without without prayer. It needs to be foundational in your life. Pursue God, to know God and make God known, but then also to pray. Rejoice always and pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks. Oh, give thanks. But it was a tough day. It was a tough week. We've had COVID. Oh, how can I be thankful? Well, actually, I've still got breath in my lungs. That's, uh, today, I've got breath in my lungs. Tomorrow, I may not. But today, hallelujah. Today, I know you, Lord. Today, my mom knows you. My sister knows you. My brother knows you. Great day. Oh, my friends don't know you yet, because I have hope for the future. So I'm going to pray for them until it comes in, until they come back. Pray without ceasing. Don't quench, don't quench the spirit. If you come with hopelessness and you think God is never going to answer your prayers, you'll get squashed down. Things, things won't flow. And don't despise people who prophesy. Not every prophecy is correct. I've had some stuff spoken a million over me and I thought, nah. But bless you anyway. You were trying to do the God's work, the Lord's work. It's okay. I can cope if someone's wrong. And I hope you can cope if I'm wrong. Because at some point I'm going to be. I, I was preaching in a prison in New Zealand and for some reason in my head I had Pentecost being five days after Easter. Oops, it's 50. And the, the, the one chap who, wasn't, who, who was a Christian in the place, and he just sat at the back, and his eyebrows were up there. And to, after I finished, he put his hand up and said, can I tell you, Pentecost is 50 days after? And he said, yeah. And I realized I'd said completely the wrong thing. It's a bit embarrassing. But I was able to say sorry and correct myself. It's okay to say sorry and do something different. I, I remember watching an interview with John F. Kennedy over the Cuba crisis. And someone said, what if you made the wrong decision over telling the Russians to back out of the nuclear war? And he said, well, I'll make another decision. There's always chance for another decision. Hold fast to what is good. Hold on to those promises of the Lord and abstain from every form of evil. Turn away from evil every chance you get. Even if you think, oh, I can do a little bit today, it'll be okay. Don't go there. It's so dangerous. Cry out in prayer. If you have no words left, say help, Lord. And if that's too much, let the tears, the groans come before the Lord. When I've been sick.
see my friends that I've worked with in, in Kiev and Lviv, I'm brokenhearted. I'm horrified by what they're going through. And I just don't have words all the time. I was praying with my friend the other day, and we were praying half the time, we were just broken with tears. We didn't know what to say to the Lord, but then it flowed. As our hearts were broken, it flowed more. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I be free from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in hell below, behold, you're there. If I take, the wing, take to the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Beautiful promises in Psalm 139. Another great psalm to hold on to. There's passion in King David. Hang on to it. Then proclaim. This bunch, oh, I didn't turn, I turned up the heart top, but not from there. There we go. Proclaim. What we were singing this morning was a proclamation over each other and over ourselves. These kids would just have them singing that and I'm no longer a slave to fear. And we sang it for maybe 10 minutes. And it started off, I'm no longer a slave to fear. And I'm a child of God. And they looked a bit bored, but we kept going. By the end of it, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. That place of praise and that place of proclamation and faith, because it takes faith to proclaim. In that place, you overcome. You let the Lord in. So if you create space for the Lord on the throne of your life, He'll come and sit there, and He'll be your God and proclaim Him over everything you do. Proclaim Him over your day. I'm being proclaiming Him this morning over my best friend's daughter, Nadia, who's had to go to hospital with septicemia. Proclaiming his life over and his healing over. It's powerful stuff. But remember what happens if you don't pray and proclaim and pursue nothing. What's your inner monologue? I embarrassed again. I, I seem to talk about my failures quite a lot. Uh, just three days ago, I was trying to walk through my mum's house and I tripped over a step. And the first thing out of my mouth was, you stupid. I was so proud of myself in my mum's house, calling myself for that. Mum just looked at me with her eyebrows in the air and shook her head and walked off. <laughs> What's your inner monologue? Do you speak life to yourself? Okay, glad you tripped over it, it's a bit dumb, but you're okay. It doesn't affect your faith, it doesn't affect who you are, you just tripped. It's not a big deal. What about when it gets a big deal in your life and that monologue becomes more strong than your faith? That's when you need to start proclaiming over your life and you need to start praying, God, show me who I am, who I really am. Because I feel terrible. I feel like I'm the worst missionary ever. Where are you, Lord? But when you do, when you start to get it, you see Aslan is with you to, to go see us Lewis. The Lion of Judah is with you. The mighty king himself. And it's not what you've said. I'm not stupid of you. I'm not a muppet. I'm a child of God. I'm, a, I'm adopted into the royal family, and so are you by the blood of Christ. Hebrews talks about that you are adopted. And when you're adopted, that means they can't throw you out the door because you belong. My gosh, we belong. Because of that. Because of Palm Sunday, and then the crucifixion, and then the resurrection, we overcome. <coughs> I have this little slide as my truth pills when I'm not feeling so great, when I'm not feeling so confident, and I start to speak it over myself. 
And I've done it where I'm just about being in tears saying it, but by the time we finished, my heart's lifted. He is majestic. He is all-knowing. He is all-wise. He is true. He is pure. He is sinless and he is radiant. He is faithful and he is magnificent and he is worthy. He's my creator. He's my redeemer. He's my strength and my truth. He is powerful. He's great. He's excellent. He is God. He is wisdom. He is holy. He is patient and he is changeless. He is merciful. Can you feel things start to change as we speak over each other? He is patient. He's changeless. He's merciful. He is almighty. He is glorious. He is righteous. He is just. And he is grace. Make your own list. Get into your Bible and start making lists. Get on your phone. List of who God is. What is God? Make sure you look on the Christian side, please. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. They were th- nor were they thankful. But they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into a man, into an image of like corruptible man. And the birds and the four-looking animals and the creeping things. When you start proclaiming God, when you start praying, when you start talking to people about God, having your conversations at your house groups, with your friends in the street, in the co-op, then you start glorifying God. Glorify God with everything you've got, and it is transformational. That's an image made by man, but it's a powerful image. But what are you proclaiming? The man on the cross, are you proclaiming the resurrection? Proclaim the resurrection and the new life in each other. Don't forget who's paid the very highest price for you. It wasn't for the other 63 million people in Britain except you, because you're that special kind of bad. I'm sorry to blow your, blow your bubble, but God paid the price for you, and it was enough. It was more than enough. So don't just proclaim his sacrifice, but his resurrection and Holy Spirit within you, and over you and all around you. Proclaim thankfulness. Thankfulness is critical. I was having a bad time in, in my missions walk and I got really tired, I was tra- trying to do too much and I went up to see this old missionary that I knew called Jim and he said, well you know what the spare bedroom is, where you go and just, just have a moment and I walked in and there was no furniture in the desk apart from one chair sitting in the middle of the room and he said, go and sit on that and say, start saying thanks to God for everything you can think of so I sat there in the first five minutes of time, thanks for the carpet Thanks, then I've got a chair and I've got my on the floor. And I smiled at that because I thought I'd say what's Actually, go, thank you that I've got a friend to come to who was able to speak some sense to me. And about an hour and a half later, Jim's chapping on the door. Do you want a cup of tea? I said, no, I'm not finished yet. And it started, and it started to flow. Thankfulness is a river in you, if you let it be. Or will you just let it be the smallest trickle? One wee hailstone hitting the floor? Or let it be the flood of God in your life? Proclaim thankfulness. Even praise, you know, if you don't want to say, if you don't have a list of those God things, start get all this worship music. And then start preaching out those words over yourself. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Speak life, not death. Learn to do that. And then you start doing purpose. We need to discover our purpose. To serve God and so we can serve Him in the right way. I, I work with missionaries who 
You don't want to hear them stood at the front teaching. It's not their gift. But equally, I'm, I'm not an accountant. You don't want me doing the accounts for the base because I wouldn't know what I'm doing. There's different things in our lives that we're good at and in the church, which is a mission field, every bit as much as what I do, then there's transformation when you find your purpose. Those little ones who went through there, that is purpose. That's who got me to stay with the Lord um, when I was small. And I asked them that I could be a missionary like Hudson Taylor. It took years for me to actually walk that prayer out, but it happened. That is not just kids' ministry. That's not just the wee ones going out so if they don't disturb us. That's the next generation. That's kids who need to know the Lord and come to love the Lord. And when they do, it's fantastic. I've worked with family ministries in New Zealand and we'd have the loved ones and they have such faith. Someone was sick, they'd go and pray for them and people would be healed. Because the loved ones came and they just had no doubt that Jesus was going to heal them that day. It's so powerful. In the, in the middle of Samoa, in, in the, uh, which is the Pacific Island, in the, in the kind of grassland park in the middle of the city, we had all these little Bible tracts and we were all a bit scared, we didn't know who to go to, we didn't necessarily know nobody spoke English or anything like that. So we just stood in a circle and the little ones came in between our legs. One of them, a little, little boy called Caleb, really bold, grabs a handful of the leaflets out of his dad's hand, walks up to a guy and says, my dad's going to come to talk to you about Jesus. And he went on to the next one, my mom's going to talk to you about Jesus. Wow, those conversations are fantastic. Learn what, learn what your gifting is, learn where your strength is. I'm so blessed in this church to have a missions committee who pray for me and care for me and make sure I'm okay away up in the middle of, in the, middle of the ice, call ourselves the frozen chosen. But we, you know, find what your mission is. Sometimes your mission is just to be a mum or a dad, to go to work and be salt and light where you're at. And maybe one or two of you are called to be missionaries. If you are, hallelujah, come and I'll teach you how to do it. It's wonderful. It's a great life. Many Christians have so many confusions and regrets through having no purpose. They just kind of drift along. I think the, the technical term in, uh, in civil engineering for people walking through a shopping centre not really knowing where they're going, it's called Neanderthals. <laughs> and it's, it's actually, actually a term my brother told me, because I could never walk in a straight line and all zigzag. But uh, when you find that place, when you find out who you are and you're living that relationship, from God down and up to God, then you find out the purpose. And it could be just that one conversation you have in one time that makes all the difference. I've done it where I've been speaking in a conference and it just didn't look as if I was touching anybody when I was saying there was no response from anyone. I was in Finland and not the things don't always show their emotions. But there was one girl that passed and she was just in floods of tears. And I thought, that's cool, God arranged this whole conference for her. And he's done a whole conference for you. He's done church today for you. Purpose in mind. Hang on to that. But if you have no purpose in mind, I've seen this in Christianity, in churches, in missions. People lose the big picture. And they start getting caught in minutiae. The way you said that, or you should have said it this way, slightly different. Or, oh, that church does it slightly different. And that's not weird. If you start having those thoughts in your head, stop it. Seriously, their children have gone as well, and who do you think you are to tell them they're wrong in the way they worship the Lord because they do something so different? Love them, invite them along, and go to their church and see if you're really happy to do it. 
It's exciting when you meet people with youth with a mission. I go to many different denominations. And the differences, tiny, tiny differences, the commonalities of Jesus Christ and the Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit. Oh my gosh, we, we're, we're brothers and sisters. We really are. Stop worrying about the little things that make, us, that make you think you're different. And if you're one and you recognize it yourself, that sometimes you get caught in the minutiae, I've got hope for you. There's vision and purpose in the Lord, and he will lead you into it. I'm nearly done. I'll show you the Douglas, I should say, at this point. That's the first quarter of this talk. <laughs> I can do it all day. I'm used to teaching for a week at a time. So. And love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. No matter who they are, love them. You can never speak life into someone if you don't, if they don't know you love them. Yeah. If they don't know you care, they're not going to listen to you. This is us handing out Bibles. We took it, we've taken a Bible to every home in, in the northern region of Norway. And that wonderful verse that, that was read out. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded. And lo, I shall be with you even to the ending of the age. God's with us. He's with us. I'm looking for the happy dance. I'm a terrible dancer. So it makes me want to dance. And being a missionary, they said, it would be fun. They said, it's not always easy to be a missionary, it's not always easy to be a Christian, but it leads to production. All of these guys, six different countries, they, they came together at my little place called Borgen in the north near Tromsø, and the production, teaching on DTSs, working with the youth, working with all the generations and uniting the generations, all the different churches all over the place. Production comes from a place of love, comes from a place of loving the Lord, knowing He loves you, and it's such a natural thing. Make these five P's part of your life. And I should say through, not tough, through the lives around you, and make the love and kindness and gentleness and goodness, those wonderful ways it has to be in Galatians 5.22. Seriously, get close to God. Get close to Him. Don't sit on the throne, but come alongside it. Your own room and break the alabaster jar, break the, that beautiful perfume in your life because there's no cost, is too big to pay to have the Lord in your life. Just talk to him, he's the best, he's funny. I never knew God was funny until I looked in the mirror and thought, yeah, he's really funny. <laughs> and it leads through all of these five P's to passion. Passion in the Lord, this is the sixth P. But let that passion build in your life because it's so wonderful. I pray for you, is that okay? Yeah. Oh Lord, I want to thank you for each person in this room. I want to thank you for the wee ones in the back learning more about you. We pray for you and we bless you. Come and lead us into a relationship with you. Pursue us, God, and show us that you do hear us, that we know you're there. Lord, release that spirit in us, release the Holy Spirit within us for fresh revelation every day and in every way. And Lord shows again and again that we need you. We don't be lovers even when we're stupid. When we do dumb things, you still love us. And as we go from this place and bless us, Lord, and let it be a blessing wherever we go.
In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.